Welcome to the Befriend Your Mind Salon, where we invite diverse thoughts to share our minds and transform our communication in modern relationships. I'm your host, Kirti, and I'm here to help you discover the power of equanimity in our everyday interactions. In a world filled with pressure to be perfectly mindful, we have to forget that true growth comes from finding balance and peace within ourselves, especially during times of adversity, challenges, or sensitive scenarios. That's why we're here, to explore how we can bring equanimity to our relationships and alleviate the unnecessary burden we put on ourselves. Each episode, we'll dive into the thought-provoking conversations, insights, and practical tips to help you navigate the complexities of modern relationships with clarity and compassion. We believe that embracing diverse perspectives is the key to fostering great communications and understanding really what's going on in today's world. So grab a cup of tea, a coffee, or get ready to go on that walk. Let's discover a journey of how to transform conversations. Let's befriend our minds together and create meaningful connections that do create the change in relationships. This week's episode is with Radha, a non-binary person and someone I've known since their childhood. They share their insights on how to make cultural traditions more inclusive. Now, we are both from South Asian backgrounds and understand that this can be quite a tricky conversation and may challenge someone's beliefs and values out there. But because it's not really spoken about, it would be really interesting to bring this to the conversation. Now, let me share a bit of a backstory how I got to this podcast. I was researching for an article about how to make South Asian marriages more inclusive. While this interview was never really intended to become a podcast, our conversation really inspired me, and I asked them for their permission to post this, of course. Here is the podcast, and if you like it or you had some thoughts and want to share it, you're welcome to join my social media and share with me in the DM what you thought of it. Here is the interview. Okay, so you said something actually just now that is super, super crucial. You said we're not having the conversations that could be had. Yeah. My first question is, well, first is you stepping out and saying, this is who I am. What was your journey like? And I would, yeah. would like to lead it into what are the conversations you wish you had that would make all the difference? Because I would that not be something useful? No, definitely would. So I have done multiple coming outs by this point because it's kind of this joke or reality, but it's kind of funny that like first the big realization that there's something different with your sexuality. So when I was in high school, um, I realized, like, I always knew, but I realized that I liked women. So I was like, well, that means that I'm a lesbian. I'm just gay. And I thought it was going to be kind of like no big deal because for me, I always knew. But um, of course, other people in your life don't have access to like inside your head to know. So they have different ideas of you. Um, And so I I first came out as a lesbian and I think it was difficult um, for like my family sometimes because they just had never thought of me as they they had like a whole different idea of who maybe I could be like get married in a very traditional sense to a man and like go and get boyfriends, blah, 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 blah. 
And I think um, it definitely took time, but I think if we had some conversations about like less so the label that I chose to come out as and more my feelings or like how my actual experiences regarding attraction would have been, then it would have been different because then we're not talking about, you know, these big uh, terms or labels that go with the sexuality and rather like as a child or a a sibling, like how am I actually experiencing my emotions that made me feel this way? Mm -hmm. Um, If that makes sense. So yeah, like, oh, well, cool. You like this girl? Like, what about her do you like? Like, you know, just like generally kind of getting to know the experience and feelings behind the big coming out um, Mm -hmm. part of it, I think would have helped. Um, And eventually these conversations do happen and they did happen, but it took a long, like a longer time because it was more like a shock, I think, (laughs) especially breaking with tradition. And I was um, quite young. Uh, And then my second coming out when I was like, I don't like to think about, I don't know how I feel about my gender. That was another one. And that one I was way more chill about because I was like, here's a, a YouTube link. Like, this is what non-binary means. <laughs> like, start practicing using they, them pronouns because I'm going to get annoyed at you. And it's fine if you make mistakes, but I will, like, continuously annoy you by, like, correcting you. So it's kind of more playful in the sense that, I, that I'm that i taking the coming out now, I guess, because I'm like, I know it's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be like this. And it it also takes a lot of the seriousness away um, when you're kind of like, it's fine, it's whatever, but it also is super important to me. Uh, and it opens those conversations better. Um, now, like with my sexuality, I think people understood that a bit better. But with gender, I've been having some interesting conversations with um, my parents online, especially with other people posting like um, Veer from in Aruba. You know, oh, her? yes. No, I heard of him, but I haven't met. But yes, tell me about it. Yeah, he he does a lot of important um, social media posts and accounts about tr- uh, being trans and just gender identity and gender expression. And he put he did like this podcast that was almost an hour long, I think. And my dad sat down and watched all of it. And then after he messaged me and he was like, hey, have you watched this? Sent me the link. And then said that he wondered if I had felt the same way or similar ways. And Veer is um, like transgender, like to as a man, and I'm non-binary. So there were some things that I related to and other things that I didn't. And because of that, we were able to have like different conversations. So um, those things are also super important, just general representation. Uh, yeah. I think you hit on something very key when when you were talking about representation. Um, I'm I'm a lot like your dad in that way. I don't know. I do know the difference, but I don't know the detail of the difference. You know, when you're caught up, I believe when you're caught up in in your own gender, whatever you choose, you get caught up. You 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 want to live your gender. You know, yeah. so you don't really pay much. You pay attention, but you pay attention on a superficial level until it's something really close to home. That's yeah. where I come to see it. 
So when you were talking now and I was just like, wow, that's super interesting because you spoke about the difference. Okay, this this person is is um, transitioning to becoming a male gender. So that's the trans guy, right? Yeah. And you're saying, well, there's a difference. There's also um, non-binary, which is they, this is neither this way or that way. But you're not changing anything physically. You can. So... Even if you are, like, transgender can be, it's kind of like an umbrella. You can, you're, you're trans if you're, um, like, male to female or female to male transgender. That's binary transitioning, kind of. Um, and then there's also being non-binary or gender fluid, where you're just moving around, but you're trans regardless. And medical transition is not, like, the same thing as social transition. So you could have all the surgeries and then like present in a body that's like mass male or masculine then and you can still be non-binary or you could do none of it and then still be like transition to a guy so that part of it doesn't really go I think it's a lot of it's it's very personal that's why I think labels are kind of confusing if you get caught up on it if you know for sure like you're a trans man then cool that fits but if you're just kind of uh, gender bothers me and this is how the language I have to describe it then I think that that's where a lot of people stand because it's like you said we're all humans and I think that it's almost impossible to express uh, a human experience with the language that we do have for these uh, gender and sexuality things no I appreciate that I something I struggled with a lot in in the yoga center yeah is teaching yoga. I, I wrote a book called Befriend Your Mind because I think, you know, I really believe we need to look underneath the surface of our differences where we really connect with one another. That's, yeah. that's me. So I never, I never imagined I'm going to have this conversation. Let me put it that way. But I love it. And why I'm asking you this, and I want you to love if you could brainstorm it with me more than yeah. me, is in Asian culture, there is, um, these traditions that girls have to, well, that girls do. For example, mandis. I don't know if, you know, when you have to do mandi, it's a very yeah um, girly thing in a way. They have to, you know, the decoration meant something. Then there is um, the sangeet, which is very male-oriented. The, it's the night of the man where they celebrate that side of dancing and stuff. And now those are like, um, and when traditions like when you have to do the barat, which is where the, the gentleman is on a horse or the man is on a horse, I mean, called gentleman, the man is on the horse crossing over to receive his bride. Now, those are like three major. And the fourth one is to keep thinking because there's so many, so many traditions, which I think is less, less to do with female male. But the, the practices are similar, which is the day before the wedding, the the couple that's getting married is going through the ceremonies of leaving their past behind. So they do all these like religious ceremonies. And then, so they go into the future together with a clean slate. Yeah. Those are like the four things that I pop up in my head right away. So brainstorm with me. Traditions would end up changing. Yeah. How would you, what would you suggest? Well, I think, Something that's beautiful about traditions, and especially when they're highly gendered, is that they don't 
I think that there's there's a reason that we have them and there's so much significance to them that I don't think, you know, like doing away with them or changing them completely would ever be in the picture. Um, because they're not, they're not like traditions that are physically harmful. They're not ones that like, you know, put other people down in the, in the, at least that I know of like in society or like this kind of thing. So they're not going to be ones that have immediate danger regarding them. And I think that it has to, it does have to do with the binary, the gender binary. So I think it's just about being more, of course, we want to preserve our traditions and the way that we do things, but also to um, like queer them. Like that's also the term I use is being queer. And it used to be more of a negative um, term that's being reclaimed because people would like use it as a hate, a hate word to say, oh, that that's a queer or that's a queer person like that. But it's been, um, yeah, people are using it again to like just describe being something other. And I think uh, it's fun to think of queering traditions where, okay, yeah, traditionally only women would do Mendy or only guys would do this dance. But if somebody feels beautiful getting the Mendy done anyways, you know, and they're they're presenting more masculinely or as a man or just really femininely, then I think if they have that connection to their culture and they want to express it that way, then it doesn't need to change. Of course, some people will be mad about it because normally, you know, boys don't do the Mendy or they don't do this, but that's a person that wants to experience the joy of something that's been passed down, like generation to generation. And I think um, mostly like gatekeeping it within our own culture based off of gender is only going to harm the connection that we have with other people. So I hear you. yeah. Um, and I think, I think it just will, would, invite a lot more beauty and happiness into those moments Definitely. like it's not harmful if if somebody wants to get mendy or do the dance that is not typically um for their gender what about the sacred rituals what could you offer and as i said we're brainstorming what would yeah, you yeah. beautifully because i think you really i love how you capitulate um captured it just now so when it comes down to the sacred rituals because they're so, those are steeped, I always, but this is my argument, they're so steeped in um, centuries, especially, mm. um, I, mom, your mom said you did cultural studies, so I'm like, oh, I, maybe if she she's done it, I'm not sure, but it'd be like curious. Like they've done, you know, when you talk about in the South Asian, there's about the Puranas, the um, the Vedas, especially the Vedas, when it comes to all of that, to me, what I loved about yoga is it didn't really pick on gender. It's all about the soul and deeper than that. Yeah. And there's a lot of interpretation since then to, you know, put put it into boxes. And that's fine because that's what happened. Yeah. Um, but what could you then say, okay, it's celebrating sacred rituals. What would you suggest as terms of conversations? This is like a real one. Right. Conversing with those, I don't know if you had it in your culture, but in mine, I had the aunts and the uncles who had a very happy tongue. They would talk and have an opinion about everything. And yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, but they also create a lot of stress for the couples because they want things their ways and everything. What would be the three things you could suggest or one thing you would suggest to make those sacred rituals just 
flow beautifully and kind of ask those aunts and uncles to sit in joyfully in their seats without wagging their tail, their, their tongue. Is that even possible? I don't know if that's possible. I like, don't even if everything goes perfectly and you do a wedding or you do whatever ceremony you want exactly as they want, there is going to be an issue. There's a, that's the thing there, because that is, that is also how the culture moves. Like there is a need for gossip. There's a need for drama. There's a need for everything. And it's very, it can be very annoying sometimes, but you know, you're never going to get that perfect. Everybody's happy and nobody's. Um, so how would you tackle it? Let's say uh, you, I'm going to put you on the yeah. spot. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, I think it's very difficult, right? Um, it's a, I think it's like a balancing act. Because um, I know like my brother uh, recently got married and they did like a very small uh, wedding in Trinidad and uh, my sister-in-law's like childhood home. I was on Zoom. I couldn't go there in person. But uh, I think they're going to be doing like an, a a bigger one in Aruba whenever they get back to get like they're physically together. But I remember that, you know, it was, it was really hard for them to um, sometimes in some decisions to step back and say, you know, maybe this isn't really what we want or what we imagined this, uh, this part of the ceremony or this part of the wedding to be, but it's really necessary for like some of the aunties and uncles. Like this is something that they think is super important and so we will, we'll do it anyways. Um, and I do think that that is something that is very expected of younger generations is for us to sometimes step back and be like, okay, we're still going to do this. It's like a, a respect and a sacrifice sometimes. And I think that that is also part of the community where you have to just deal with some things that maybe you don't, you wouldn't really love to have happen. And that means that it can go the other way around where if you want to do something that is not very traditional, then they can sit there and then they can, you know, um, back like wag their tongues a bit and then they will get over it and find something, something else to do. At least. Okay. That's my attitude. It's like a non-answer. I'm just always like, just do what you want to do. Um, and you'll see what happens because, yeah, I, I don't do. think it's a non-answer, though. I think it's a, it's your answer. It's not a non-answer. It's yeah. Not, okay. Own that. <laughs> but in terms of conversation, because you asked about conversation, yes. I think that I think having those kind of conversations about your intentions or like the ways that you're going to be queering traditions or changing them or doing something different, I think that respect is something that happened that that is really important in this and I think more private conversations with like um the aunties and uncles that you really hold close to you and you know maybe will be confused or not really be sure about it like having those private kind of slower open conversations with them is helpful being like hey this is super important to me and I know it's not how it maybe done before maybe it's not something that you're really happy with or comfortable with but it's so important that this happens for me and I want to let you know like I'm 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 here to have a conversation with you to let you know that I'm going to be doing this and I want you there too so like that is kind of extending your arm out because a lot of the times it's like coming out but I feel like it is 
and I'm taking this off of Queer Eye, which I love Queer Eye, but it's like letting like people it. in. Like <laughs> it's it's about letting people in and you're inviting them into your safety and your identities and your expression. So they also have to be um, aware of, of how, how hard that can be if there's differences between you two as well. You made me think of something, a question. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whenever it, I remember during my sister's wedding, when it had to have those really difficult conversations with those aunts and uncles, it was almost like the diplomat of the house had to do it. Which yeah. was, those days, my mother. So, would how would you have if if given that circumstance if given that situation where that conversation has to happen and it's a hard one because it's how you feel how you're you know this is owning your identity bringing it into the beautiful beauty of celebrating in whichever ceremony at this point right with aunts and uncles that will argue let's say they're the ones who are a little bit more um they're saying, okay, no, they only want to see this. I'm not going to call it rabbit hole. It's just that their choice is to see this, right? Mm-hmm. Would you would you be more comfortable allowing your mom to have that conversation or your father to have that conversation? Or would it still be something that would give you, a, because it's a sense of being whole and complete with yourself beyond the, the narrative of, um, pronouns or identity. It's, it's yeah. really that part of it, right? Of being yourself. Yeah. How would you feel if, if that, op, um, if that possibility presented itself? I think it, I think it really depends because if it's, if there are people that my parents really do want to be there and they say this is important they need to be there and they have issues with things that are happening in my wedding in my like from my perspective I'm like well people that love me accept me want to be there are going to be there without any issue if they want them to be there and I've already tried to have a conversation with them and they're not happy with it I'm not like I'm not a kind of person to change for them if my parents do want to still further have a conversation with them and it's really important, I will try. But, um, sometimes your own happiness comes before sit like staring out. If it's your day and you're staring out and there are people that are, you just know they're, they're not happy. They're angry the whole time. I also don't invite that kind of energy into new beginnings, for example, of my life. If I want to surround myself by love, acceptance, and people that really want to be there to genuinely see me thrive, I I would much rather that than people that don't. And maybe, um, you know, some elders would be mad about it. But it's not my, uh, it's not my responsibility to cope with their, um, it's, but this is after a lot of, I think, conversations and attempts, like if this is a relationship that, you know, you keep trying mm-hmm. and they they don't want to even have a conversation, then, of course, I'm kind of like, that's not my responsibility to fix this for you. No, it's very valid. Very, very valid. The yeah. reason I was asking, because I was always, I always think about those, there's, there's three lists on a wedding. I always say there's a list that you want. 
there's the list your parents want, and there's the list that actually turns out to be. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's, and give and take on that one, your partner has the same thing too. Yeah. So then have essentially actually the fourth list, the ultimate list is who stays, who goes, why do they stay, and why do they go? Yeah. Right? And so I'm always thinking about those one or two people who are just having to stay as part of, as part of it, but their mannerism will not change regardless. So who, no. how do you navigate those? Basically, how, what could you do to navigate that conversation? Or is it necessarily you who has to navigate that conversation? Yeah, I think if I've already tried to have conversations, if my mom want, if my parents want to have those conversations, they can have it. If they still want to show up, they can show up. You know, it's it's important that, especially for queer people, a lot of the narratives have been in the past that you have to feel um, grateful for people supporting you, for people accepting you, for using the correct pronouns, for, you know, seeing you as the person that you've already told them that you are. And I think that that is... Uh, it has cha been changing, but I think it's changing a lot more now where people understand that if people choose to not, um, genu generally, I think if people choose not to respect you, mm -hmm. then you don't have to um, beg them to be there because a big thing about queer people is that you have a chosen family. You have your own family and you invite them in. You have family friends and you invite them in, but you can also choose and make your own family. And that is a reality for a lot of queer brown people, um, people of color, like just queer people in general, they have to end up making their own family too. So, you know, sometimes some weddings will have maybe one family member and then everybody else is friends and people that choose to be there. And I think that's also beautiful. Um, and having, yeah, blood families and aunties there is gorgeous, but it's not the only way. And I think sometimes they need to remember that too. Like they will still get married. They will still have a gorgeous life. Even if you're bitter about it, like they will still thrive and they should. I have so many questions. I mean, I'm loving this conversation. Thank <laughs> yeah, you. go ahead. Um, yeah, I know you spoke about queer brown people. You know, there's two ways I'm looking at this article. Okay, and you just mentioned something beautiful. Well, beautiful, it's vulnerable, really, is what are the struggles that queer brown people living, now I'm not talking about in India globally, or even what is the one struggle they wished everybody, everybody could at least contemplate, at least consider that would support them just to be themselves. I mean, just being in a, you know, it's not about treating, I don't believe in treating people special. Yeah. But it's about letting a person just be part of the equation without making them exclusive that they are in the equation as different. You know what I yeah. sense? I think this is something that I've learned from my friends here. And it's that it's really easy to get caught up on a label or term that someone uses to define themselves by or uses to um, yeah, express their part of their identity as. But at the end of the day, you're, you're just a person. Like, 
And I think that this goes for, this goes for everybody. It doesn't have to be like, you don't have to be queer at all. Just be a person. Like there's nobody in the world that you're going to get on a hundred percent with. And that doesn't matter if they're gay or if they're trans or if they're bi or they're asexual or non-binary, like that we're just all people going through our own experiences, trying to understand it. And I think that being queer and being a person of color or brown or black, like it adds so much on, especially from other people in the world, that if you can just meet that person with kindness mm-hmm. and just get to know them as a person and not by their, um, just by their identity, then, then that will, you know, you'll get to know if you like them as a human being rather than if you hate them based off of um, some other political thing. I, I, I know you say kindness. For me, it's about being curious. You just, yeah, for sure. You don't know what you don't know, you know. So be curious. There's a per, there, in every in every being. There's something something about that person. Yeah, that's how I feel. So I always get excited when I don't know something because then you're like, ooh, there's this too. Yeah, same. <laughs> exactly. I love learning. And um, you described one of the uh, like just before um, as vulnerable, and that's actually something that I I constantly have in my mind. It's like a little bit of my motto is that vulnerability is your strength. And I think that people forget to, people just forget, you know, that everybody is just like a kid and is sometimes scared and excited and happy and makes mistakes and then feels guilty about it and then wants to like connect with people. And I think that's really important. It's like outside you know, we're just going through the world. We're all here for the first time or remembering it for the first time, you know, like, <laughs> you don't know. I like the way you caught on to that one. So my one last question. I want, I would love for you to give me a tip because there's a lot of ways we can go with this article. It's supporting what to say, but it's also supporting what to be heard. So... What suggestion, if I had to write an article, it's, I always think about the word, the burden of, the burden of exploring again. It's like if queering, if couples who are are queer, right, have to keep explaining themselves, it can be exhausting. I'm saying that because as a woman of color in a, in a space of work, it's exhausting. It's always like, oh, I have to prove myself again. I have to do all this work again. Mm -hmm. That can play quite quite exhausting and if you have all these wedding stuff going on so there there is like what would you suggest for them or what would you suggest to the to the family relationships or the family dynamics and their ex and it's about expectations yeah what tip could i to give them to listen to be better listeners or to be more supportive. I shouldn't say listeners because then I'm being biased in that way, but to be more supportive. Yeah. And what could you suggest for couples who are undergoing the process and that exhaustion of having to go through that process? What would you suggest for each side? I think, so I think that a lot of people are afraid to ask questions, Mm -hmm. especially when you don't know, which is like, which is hard because like, if you don't know, how are you going to find out without asking questions? Um, 
in terms of like family members. But I think I think they're they're afraid because they don't want to say the wrong thing. They don't want to be ignorant or they don't want to like make things worse or weird or whatever. But only through those conversations are you going to create connection. Like even if it's kind of an awkward conversation, the person can just say, I don't want to talk to you about that, actually. But we can talk about the other things that you want to um, discuss regarding my sexuality or something like this. Um, so I think, um, yeah, practicing not knowing and allowing yourself to ask questions that make you feel like if you want to keep that relationship with that family member, you have to be wanting to know more and willing to, um, look a bit stupid if, if that's your, if you if that's your fear, like if your fear is asking questions that make you feel, um, like, like show your age or your ignorance or your generation difference. Cause that is something that I have with like my mom and I, like, she will be like, I think you're going to, you know, this might be a dumb question, but she still asks it. And it's, it's the reason that we're still so close mm -hmm. because even if I'm asking the same, if I'm answering the same question, like five times in multiple ways over five years, at least she's still asking me the question. She's thinking about how, you know, like my sexuality and my gender work out. And a lot of people, I think, are worried that, you know, their family doesn't want to know about it because they don't ask. So then they don't talk, you don't talk about it because you don't want to always be making it about your sexuality because it doesn't matter that much. Mm -hmm. But it really does matter that your family wants to know about it. You know, just asking, oh, did you go on any dates? Are you, do you have a girlfriend? Or do you think that this girl's pretty or something? Like casual things like that doesn't have to be super deep. And uh, um, yeah, identity-based if you, if you don't want it to be. Um, and I think probably for, this, for the queer couple or the couples that are doing weddings and having to like explain a lot of things all the time, maybe it would just be to go hang out with your queer friends because you don't have to explain things to them. And that's super important, like to just be around, um, like for you, I get, it must be so nice after a day of work where you have to con constant, constantly like be aware of your own position to just like call up your girlfriends and then chat about random stuff. Like you don't have to talk about it. You don't have to talk about that part about your identity because you're just existing. Um, and that's healing as well. Yes. Oh, I'm I'm very, very grateful we had this talk. Thank you so, yeah. so much. I'm going to stop the recording. Cool. But thank you. Hold on, let me stop it. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Befriend Your Mind Salon. We hope you found inspiration and valuable insights to apply in your daily life. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and share it with your friends and loved ones. Together, we can spread the message of equanimity and mindful connections and communication. Remember, true growth comes from embracing diversity of thought and approaching our relationships with openness and compassion. Let's continue to befriend our minds and cultivate meaningful connections in this ever-evolving world. Until the next time, stay curious, stay open, and keep befriending your mind. This has been the Befriend Your Mind Salon. I'm your host, Kirti, signing off. Take care and keep embracing the power of equanimity in your life.